and welcome to Music is the Drug, the Cowboy Junkies podcast. I'm Dave Bowler and I wrote the Cowboy Junkies biography, Music is the Drug. The Open album is 21 years old this month, so we thought we should celebrate with a special episode dedicated to the album as a whole, rather than just the individual songs, which will continue to feature in the normal podcasts. Open represented a new beginning for the band as they migrated from a life with the major labels into going fully independent again. As a result, as Michael Timmins admits, it was a really important record for the band. Our first studio record after leaving Geffen, and leaving not just leaving Geffen, but leaving the, the major record label um, system, really. You know, there's a real conscious decision on our part to do that. We'd been 10 years, uh, most of those with BMG, RCA, and then we went over to Geffen for a couple of albums. And... Um, you know, that system had been really good for to us, you know, as far as getting our name out there and really investing money into the, us and to our, what we, what we call now our brand, uh, you know. Um, you, you know, we toured all around the world and we worked our asses off and got onto international TV and national TV. And, you know, it, it was it was quite, we did a lot in those 10 years. But by the end of it, by the, when we came off a mile from our home, um, we were very burnt out by it, by the system and by, all the people you have to deal with in that system. And, um, and we just decided to sort of, we, we wanted to, in order to preserve what we, who we were and, and our music, we wanted to, we had to pull back and uh, go back to our, doing it more for ourselves and doing it more for the music. Not, not that we weren't doing it for the music, but we, there was a lot of people involved in promoting and, 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 you know, and just getting, you know, people trying to stick their fingers into the pie, so to speak. So open was really the first studio record that we, we, you know, we paid for it. We had the we had the money at that point, so we paid for it ourselves, and and then set up a system of getting it out there in different countries. Um, the biggest one being in the states, which was through Rounder. So this is the first record we did with Rounder. This strange new thing called the internet had come along in the late nineteen nineties, and that was already beginning to blow the music industry apart, as Alan Anton remembers. That's why we were there in that situation, because the you know the, the major labels were falling apart, not knowing what to do with um, with the internet. And, uh, you know, when you think back on it and you remember this company called, or this guy called Napster was, was able to actually take command of the music industry, like out of his basement. It was just amazing. That's how, you know, that's how much, how much of a ball drop the, uh, the record company companies, uh, were responsible for, I think they just could not figure out the next move. Um, so for us, it just made sense to you know, try to do it ourselves and release through, uh, you know, smaller labels that we could work with um, who who understood what we were doing better than, you know, maybe bigger labels who didn't really care. It was an expanded band again for Open, featuring the core four, Jeff Bird, and new additions in Karen Bergqvist and Linford Detweiler from Over the Rhine. Having been touring for a couple of years in that configuration, they were well played in going into making the new record. Yeah, I mean, we've been touring so much, you know, through those years, um, those late '90s, especially, you know, and uh, we 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 never we we kind of it's crazy when we look back on it. Um, but yeah, so we, we we were you know we were a pretty together band for sure for the for this recording, and and you know a big band, so that's like a seven seven piece band with Karen and Linford in there, and they were seriously seriously you know included in the band. They were part of it, right? So um, it was pretty. Uh, Pretty intense, pretty intense band for sure. I think Linford's um, addition to it is really important. Some nice textures and atmospheres from 
from his playing. Yeah, I mean, we, we've done a lot of keyboards, different kind of keyboards in the past. But, um, you know, Linford Hett for sure has his own thing going on with, uh, with his keys. He's got a lot of, um, you know, musical background, real, real musical background. Unlike us, musical hacks that we are. Um, so it's always nice to have a professional guy to come in and, and do something nice, which is that he was great at all that stuff. on this uh, again very slight you know Linford's a very subtle player when he needs to be and a very sympathetic player as well he knows where where to sit out and where to just just hover underneath and then he's got some great lines like on um I think beneath the gate he, he's you know that's he's he had some beautiful lines in there and um and, and then some really spooky night cool stuff in like dark hole and uh you know there's just some there's just some great moments he, he has some great moments on this record Having Karen in there gives the whole thing a different. Obviously, it gives it a different vocal quality. I mean, that that that's a big decision with with someone like Margot, who's got such a distinctive voice and is you know so kind of revered, I guess, by by fans. Have somebody else in there too. That, that's a bold step. Yeah, and I, I I'm sure that turns some people off. You know, they just want to hear Margot, and, but um, Karen is such a great singer by her honor. Just but just by herself, she's a great singer. But she's also a really sympathetic singer, and, and she understands background vocals, and she understands how to connect with somebody. And she, you know, she was so great because there's a real egolessness e to her, to her. You know, she's a front person in a pretty successful band, and but she was able to step back and become a, a side person. You know, and um, and and especially for a vocalist, that's very difficult. But she was able to do, cross to to balance this night this this nice um, balance between doing harmonies, just sort of supporting Margot, and then doing completely separate parts, especially on like out sections, like I'm so open and uh, dark hole again. And um, uh, they're just, you know, there's, there's some great moments in this, on this record where she's just becomes a whole, she creates a whole other vocal part and, uh, and just adds so much to the song, you know, just, it just becomes so special with, with her, that extra vocal in there. So almost, her, her and Margot riffing off each other, sort of like Jeff and I do, right? They're doing it vocally. Um, and Close My Eyes is another one, again, just fantastic. The out sections are so great where she she emerges from behind Margot as a har as a harmony singer and becomes a whole other vocal and a whole other melody. It's, it's really special. And you know, I, that's her, that's all her. might continue doing that a bit more but uh the more we 
you know, we, we did do it on a few songs after that on different records. And um, we sort of went back to just Margot being the only voice because it just sounds better overall, I think, on most of the, most of the things that we do. So if there, if there is a second voice, it's usually Margot doing something else on it, doubling, which, uh, which seems to work better than another voice because somehow another voice draws attention to itself. But if it's just Margot doubling or doing a, a harmony for, with, her, with herself, it, it seems more natural and you don't really notice. You don't really you know, go, who's that? It just sort of flows past nicely. They were important for, for sure for, uh, because they were with us live as well. So we could work on stuff and expand it from there and then bring it back in the studio. Yeah, so they were, they were um, you know, instead of having a producer, we had Karen and Linford to add stuff, which, which was sort of equivalent to, to having, you know, it's outside voice. We were coming off the road with, uh, from Miles From Our Home, so we had, we, had, we had been working with Karen and Linford, really loving how they were incorporating them into the band. And we, a lot of these songs we'd been playing live on the road, some of them anyways. And, and then we went to a really cool little studio in downtown Toronto, which is now gone because it's been turned into a condo uh, and a really interesting engineer, Daryl Smith. And we sat in this really downtown funky studio and, and, and played these very live off the floor. I did some, a few, a few overdubs here and there. We did a few overdubs with Peter Moore and, and that, but uh, so it was a really live record and very very unencumbered you know again it was our first we didn't have anybody looking over our shoulder we didn't have anybody we had to get a record to rounder was very hands-off so it, it, it was really just a very open open experience and very interesting place in our life too i think we spent pretty much a lot of time on that record i don't remember the time but it was definitely a lot long time a long time frame where we worked on songs you know two or three songs at, at once and then took a break and came back and so we managed to play a lot of them live too while we were working on them, which is which is always a good thing for songs. There's some songs like uh, "Bread and Wine," which are uh, you know more more rocky than than we're used to. I think that was kind of the only up, really up song on that on that record. I mean that's that's a pretty you know down record I think too, right? It's got uh, I don't know if it's as dark as Pale Sun, but it's it's definitely a, a slow tempo record, you know, and, and downy sounding for sure. But there were, uh, you know, there's, a, I'm so open, I guess, is a, is sort of a poppy number for us. And like I said, bread and wine is very rocky for us. And that sort of st stood out to me on that record is maybe not fitting at first, you know, but I'm not sure if it's still, if it does still. Yeah. I mean, I like that record overall for the sound and um and the feel of it and i thought it was uh, maybe not the best representation of some of the songs that, that we've done like i remember dark hole again being being different and being a little more interesting than to me than what it ended up being but uh i don't know i sort of grew to grew to like it it's hard to go back and remember all this stuff especially when especially when it was done in you know over a period of time you know probably the whole year and taking them out on the road and all that stuff so they evolve and so it gets all kind of fuzzy about where they started and where they ended and how we got there but i remember us being quite proud of ourselves in the studio technically anyways you know like the fact that we could actually hey we can make a good sounding record right here 
so that was a bit of an eye opener and we you know we never looked back after that well i love the sound of it like the recording sound of it is one of my favorite records as far as that goes because it was done very live daryl smith as i said at uh at his studio captured it really really well and he uh and, and you know karen and and linford were incorporated in the band so they were there for a lot of the recording you know in the studio it wasn't like so the keyboards weren't overdubbed they're part of the part of the bed tracks and aaron and, and karen doing a lot of the background vocals was part of the bed tracks too so and and i think we had a lot of for a lot of these songs we, we were we were able to play them live a bit before we before we recorded them so there was a certain ease to them and um and they were captured really well. And I love, you know, that's, as I said in the past, that's my favorite feeling for a, a recording is that live off the floor. That's that late sixties, early seventies vibe, you know, just, just capturing the band performing. And, and that's what Trinity session is about, obviously in its most intense way. But um, so I think for a studio, this is one of our, our best um, uh, live, live recordings, I guess, live off the floor recordings. I think that sort of helps retain a bit of the, the sparkle that you had on, on Miles, which obviously was a, a big budget record, without having any of that sheen that maybe put some people off at the time. Yeah, I mean, it is a, such a different record, right? Coming off of Miles going into this one, it's it's so it's so different. My, as you say, Miles was a very slick record. And that was the intention. And this one is a much, it's just, it's ragged, you know, in, in a good way. Like it's, it's just, it's so live. You, you, you hear, you hear everybody playing you hear everybody playing together and off one another and uh but you know there's a, but there's elements that are similar and as I see, as you say there's lots of vocals on miles as well but they're all margo vocals pretty much and and um so there's a there's a there's a similarity ish in 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 the songwriting uh, but a completely different approach to the recording and the production which which makes which makes them very very different records i prefer i prefer an, an, an a sound of an album like open to a sound of an album like miles it's nice to experiment with an album like Miles, and it's fun to do that. But in the long run, I prefer to listen to something like Open. I find a, an album like that I'll go back to many years later and be very happy with it. Just even if there's mistakes in it and things I wouldn't do again, it's just just because there's an honesty to it. Where Miles is, um, it, it's very uh, it's it's very thought out. You know, it's it's very um, deliberate. You know, where Open has much more of a um, a sense of of just letting things go and, and which I which to me is what, what music is. Open was one of those records that was blessed from on high. A lot of things came together almost effortlessly, including David Houghton's cover artwork. Yeah, he uh, he came up with that right away. Like um David David um has done quite a few of our covers and was uh, and it was very influential even even our early websites too. He helped design those, did a lot of work on those. And with this one, and usually David wanted, you know, he doesn't, you know, you you don't ask for an album cover without him saying, okay, fine, but I need, you know, I, I need to hear music, I need I need to read lyrics, I I need I need you to tell me what you know what you're thinking conceptually, and so he wants a lot of information, so he thinks about it, and immediately came back with uh, his first thing he came back with what was the cover, which was the the open uh, praying mantis, and. Um, and, and also the eyeball idea, like on the inside or somewhere else on it. So this, this, these two ideas of being open, um, you know, one being open is a positive thing, but it can also be a very scary thing too. Um, so it, it was perfect. Like he, he, he hit it right away. Like it was the first, the first image that came back. It was like, yes, that's it. And that's so great when that happens because covers can be, can be a pain in the ass. You, you can, you can flounder or you can, you know, albums get delayed because of waiting for cover ideas. And, uh, 
And this was right there, right, right, right off the top. Very intense period for me as far as my life goes. You know, uh, my first daughter we'd adopted in '98, and then uh, my son was born in 2000. So, and then we were in the process of adopting our second daughter. So, you know, it was pretty intense at home. The home life was very intense. <laughs> so, uh, I got away for sure. And then, you know, at the same time, we were starting, you know, trying to build up a business again. You know, independent business. We were, we were breaking away from a a corporate world, which was very easy to exist in because they, they provide you with everything. Here we were sort of starting from scratch again. So it was pretty intense. And um, and uh, so I got away for sure. We rented a place, uh, my wife and I rented a place up, up, you know, north of Toronto, like I always do some, some, some place. And it was, it was, a, it was, I had a little recording system up there. So there was a lot of, a lot of that. And then I'm trying to think how we were, how we, how we, uh, I can't remember how we, demoed these songs as a band. I think them a lot, a lot of it was done on the on the floor in the studio. Um, so that was good too, just sort of capturing capturing moments in the studio. Um, and you know, lyrically these are, you know, a lot of anxiety in these songs, uh, because of the period of my life and um, a lot of doubting and a lot of wondering and a lot of looking forward and not so much looking present. It was more more about like what the hell where are we heading sort of thing. Um, so, you know, it's a pretty dark record for sure. There's a lot of, a lot of questioning, I guess. I remember you, you saying that you had some problems sort of sequencing the record and sort of late in the day, you, you, you kind of turned the order around a little bit. Yeah. And that was, that was an outside person. That was, uh, Troy Hansborough, who, who was the, our, our connection, you know, he's technically an A&R guy at, at Rounder at the time. And he's the one who brought us to the company and, uh, Again, very, very hands off. He basically said, look, you know, if you guys sign with us or, you know, if you guys work with us, you won't hear from me unless you want me to, unless you want, unless you, unless you call me and, and ask me for my opinion, I'm not going to, you're, you're not going to hear from me. You just tell me when you have a record out, we'll put it out. Like, however you guys want to run it. So that was, you know, amazing. And so we'd finished the record and we'd mastered it and uh, sequence, you know, we'd be finished record and I sent it to him. Yeah, obviously hadn't been manufactured yet, but I'd sent him the, the final masters. And uh, he listened to it, and you know, basically got back to him and said, "Do you want? Do you want? Do you want my opinion?" <laughs> and I said, and "I said, yeah, of course." So uh, he said, "You know, I love the I love the album, but I think you know, I think you're, I think it could be sequenced differently." And he basically flipped it around. Like there's a real there's a real from, from like I was I was sequ- I'd sequenced it. Alan and I had sequenced it from um, light to dark, basically. You know, uh, start starting with things that are a bit lighter, a bit more, a bit. Uh, a pop more positive and then and then going into the the dark hole basically and he said i think it's a more powerful album if you do it the other way around start start dark and end up and end up light opening up a bit um it's all that's all relative of course so he he you know and he even suggested the sequence he said why you know try it like this instead and and uh i did and uh it's like i'm not you know it was, it was immediately obvious that it was better that that doing it his way so we did um, so, you know, there, it, it's, it's, uh, outside influence can be very positive too. So there's, there's people out there in the industry who are, who know what they're doing and, and have, and, and are, and are good at what they do. Um, unfortunately the system itself is not very good. It, it's a bit, uh, 
stultifying, but uh, individuals are, there's a lot of great individuals out there. I guess it, it's, it's a change as well over your career that, you know, we've moved from vinyl to sequencing for CD and then, I don't know, we're probably moving back in the other direction again then. Yeah. Well, that's true too. You know, it was a, it was a sequence as a CD. Um, I mean, we'd been doing that for a few albums at that point, but still, it, it, we always we, we would think in terms of side A and side B often. And uh, he, you know, he was thinking more in terms of you know tracks one to ten, not 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 a side A and side B. And uh, you know, he had a, a better understanding of that. And and um, and you know, again, just hearing it, you know, he hear it for the first time and immediately he had a reaction, and it's like, and and his reaction was right. He had a gut reaction, and you know, it's not. It's not, that's not a uh, commercial move. It's not like a record company would tell you, no, we want you to start with the dark songs. You know, it's usually the other way around. They want the, the, the brightest, cheeriest, whatever, right first. They don't care to give a damn about what it means in the context of the album or the, or the theme of the album. It's, it's always about commercial. So we want, you know, uh, so, so it, what, he, what he suggested was, was not a commercial move. It was an artistic move. So it was greatly appreciated. When we're sequencing, we go through a lot of, a lot of ideas and a lot of lists. I just remember the final, <laughs> the final thing. Usually, it's like when you if you play a game of poker, you don't remember all the hands. Just remember if you win or one or you lost. They certainly won the sequencing hand because while open has all the usual depths and nuances that reveal themselves over time, it was an open, accessible record right from the first listening. Yeah, and it was received really well. You know, that was a, the fun thing about it, or the nice thing about it, was that even though we were off out of the major labels, we, we were able to put together a, 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 a series of labels that were independent, but, you know, active and, and, and big enough. Rounder in the States was big enough to, to had a big enough reach to be able to reach out to outlets and, and, and be listened to. And then we used Cooking Vinyl, I think, for this one in, in Europe, who who have a very good reputation for, uh, and who do we work with in the past um, for independent music. And um, so it was good. And then also, you know, we, as you said, the internet was just really ramping up at that point. And uh, we were very active in that, you know, we, we had a website up for a couple of years. And, and at that point too, people were still willing to buy stuff directly from artists. Um, you know, Amazon hadn't cornered the market and, and there wasn't any streaming and, uh, so, you know, we, we, that was really helpful for us, too, because we were able to control all that ourselves and uh, set up a system, an early, an early day system of uh, getting up and sending out music that way and connecting with our audience that way, too. So it was a really exciting time and, and very open time. And, and uh, you know, there, there was a lot of possibilities before it all got gobbled up, of course, by the corporations again. But for those few years, it was uh, exciting and, and we took advantage of it for sure. We're shutting down and open now. And we're back to normal next week with a song from All That Reckoning. Who knows, there might even be a bonus podcast for you before then. Cowboy Junkie's new album, Songs of the Recollection, featuring covers of songs by The Stones, Bowie, Neil Young, Dylan, The Cure and plenty more, is available from all the usual outlets or direct from the band at cowboyjunkies.com. You can also get a copy of Music is the Drug from there too. The Junkies are back on the road with new tour dates coming in all the time, in North America, all over Europe, and in Australia and New Zealand too. Keep checking the website for news of those shows. If you're a Spotify user, you can follow our growing podcast playlist. All the details of that and everything else is in the show notes. See you next time. So,
shine.